1 John chapter 4, verses 7 through 21. Beloved, let us love one another, for love is from God, and whoever loves has been born of God and knows God. Anyone who does not love does not know God, because God is love. In this, the love of God was made manifest among us, that God sent his only Son into the world so that we might live through him. In this is love, not that we have loved God, but that he loved us and sent his Son to be the propitiation for our sins. Beloved, if God so loved us, we also ought to love one another. No one has ever seen God If we love one another, God abides in us, and his love is perfected in us. By this we know that we abide in him and he in us, because he has given of us his spirit. And we have seen and testify that the Father has sent his Son to be the Savior of the world. Whoever confesses that Jesus is the Son of God, God abides in him and he in God. So we have come to know and to believe the love that God has for us. God is love, and whoever abides in love abides in God, and God abides in him. By this is love perfected with us, so that we may have confidence for the day of judgment, because as he is, so also are we in this world. There is no fear in love, but perfect love casts out fear, for fear has to do with punishment. And whoever fears has not been perfected in love. We love because he first loved us. If anyone says, I love God and hates his brother, he is a liar. For he who does not love his brother whom he has seen cannot love God whom he has not seen. And this commandment we have from him, whoever loves God must also love his brother. This is the word of the Lord. So if you paid close attention to what Hunter just read to us from 1 John chapter 4, you can't help miss the fact that John's got this thing about love. He keeps saying it over and over again. In fact, 46 times in this epistle does he use the word love. 46 times in five chapters of a letter. But it's not new because in his gospel, the gospel written by John, he says that word or uses that word love 57 times, which is more than the three other gospel writers combined. John has this thing about love. You know, love shows up everywhere. Starting in 2012, that word love started to show up in the Commonwealth of Virginia. It has showed up in Dog Street in Williamsburg. It kind of visits around the Commonwealth, this word love. Now, the English language has this word, four letters. We say it's love, and it can mean a couple things. One definition that you'll find in a dictionary is that it is an intense feeling of deep affection. That's what love could mean in English. And we use that word to describe how we feel about God. We love God. Or how we feel about our spouse. We love our spouse. Or or how we feel about our children. We love our children. But we also use it to describe how we feel about our dog. We love our dog. We love our job. We love our house. We love our favorite sports team. We love a good sunset, a nice bowl of ice cream on a hot day. We love our favorite book. We love our favorite toys if you're a kid. 
Or if you're me, you love yourself some Skittles. <laughs> I love Skittles. This is the size bag I normally buy. Doesn't everybody buy a big bag when you get Skittles? Now it says, made for sharing. <laughs> I'm not so sure about that. <laughs> we use that word for just about everything. But it's not just a verb, love is also a noun. So we can describe love by saying that we go through life looking for it or losing it. <laughs> we can make love, we can sing songs about love. We can be in love or we can be out of love. We can have a love affair. We can drive a love bug. We can lose a tennis game if we're behind 40 love. You know, the English language uses love in different ways. One word, lots of different ways to put it into to meaning, but maybe not so precise. Can I really love God the same way that I love Skittles? Well, the Greek language helps us understand love a little better. In the Bible, in the New Testament, in the Greek it's written, the Koine Greek, there are four different words that are used for love. In classic Greek, or classical Greek, there are as many as seven different words. So those Greeks have something up on us when it comes to love, at least in their ability to, to describe it. Love has four different words in the Bible. One of those is a word that's used for kind of the, the love you have in a family. Storge, it's called. It's the love you have for family gatherings, the love you have for your cousins and your uncles and your aunts, the love you have for getting together in November for Thanksgiving or maybe in December for Christmas. Storge. It's a family love. It's a, a love of affection. But then if it goes a step further and it's more intimate love or what we say romantic love, then we have eros for what we also think of as sexual love. They have a word for that, eros. Then there's a word for the kind of love that friends have. When friends share love for one another and sometimes that love is shared because they have affection for shared things. Well, philia is the Greek word that's used for that kind of love. We're the word Philadelphia, the city of Philadelphia, the city of brotherly love comes from. So we, there are different words in the Greek for love, but John doesn't use any of those three. When he speaks of love in his epistle, the fourth chapter, the verses that Hunter read for us, he uses another word. And the word he uses was actually a word that had been in the Greek language for a long time, but when the time for John to write came along, it was a word that nobody had really used much. You weren't using that word in everyday language. But New Testament writers particularly grabbed that word, repurposed it, gave it some new meaning. You know the word. It's agape, God love, unconditional love, gospel love. The Greek word agape meaning that kind of love. And that's the word that John uses all these many times in 1 John 4. 7 to 21. He's trying to tell us something about who God is and who we are and how we get together with this word called love. But if you read John's epistle, you know, it doesn't read like the Apostle Paul or even James or Peter. If you've tried to read through 1 John, you'll know what I mean. It seems at times to not quite go in a straight line. He goes down some side trails or he repeats himself. And then he repeats himself again. And we, I think we have to give John a break because when he wrote this letter, he was an old man. He wrote this most likely even near the end of the first century. He'd been around a while. 
And so sometimes I think of reading 1 John, I, I kind of think it, it's kind of like sitting down with an elderly grandfather who's probably going to say the same story or tell the same story more than once in the conversation. But there's a lot to be gained from listening. There's a lot to be gained from John. There sure is a lot to be gained from the passage that we're looking at this morning. So as John writes to initially Christians who lived in Asia Minor, maybe the same Christians that James had written to earlier and that Peter had written to after that, John now writes late in his life, and he wants to emphasize this thing about love. And so he does three things. He says love originates or comes from God, particularly God in three persons, a triune God. And he says love is perfected in the gospel, and then thirdly, love is commanded in the church. So we'll look first at how love comes from God the Trinity. You know, in the first verses, verses 7 through 13, at least of what we read, John writes about the fact that love originates in God in three persons. So we have to say, well, where did he get this idea that God is one God with three persons? And all we have to do is go back to his gospel, the gospel of John, and look at, oh, say, chapters 13 to 16, where John records Jesus' upper room discourse, and Jesus unpacks beautifully the idea of God in three persons in those three chapters of John. He unpacks the fact that there is a Father, a Son, and a Holy Spirit, all God, three in one. So as John begins to think about love, he thinks about the triune God that he heard Jesus talk about. But not only that, he, he begins to say, verse 7, for love is from God. And as he uses that word God there, he probably means love is from the Father, the Father God. It was his idea. And then verse 9, but God's love was made manifest or was put on display, we could say, among us by God the Father, God the Father, sending his only Son into the world so that we might live through him. You know, the Bible teaches that God is love. John sure says that more than once. And the Bible teaches that God loves all that he has made. God loves the whole universe, every bit of it that he created. But he also loves even those people who don't love him. God loves even those sinners who have no interest in him. He, he sends even good gifts to them. The rain falls on the just and the unjust. But John is writing about a love now. It is a love, particularly in, in sense of God's intention to love his own people. God so loved the world, John wrote the words of Jesus in his gospel. God so loved the world that gay, he gave his only begotten son, that whosoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. Well, what is the eternal life that is offered here? Isn't it the, the transforming relationship that we are offered through the gospel? that we can have with a triune God, centered on Jesus Christ, his Son, who was sent by the Father, and together they send the Spirit to dwell in us, those of us who believe in him. It's an amazing love. And it's a wonderful thing that I can stand up this morning and say to every one of you here, God really does love you. We really are loved. It's an amazing truth. Stuart Townsend, Townend wrote a hymn some years ago where he said these words, How deep the Father's love for us, how vast beyond all measure, that he should give his only Son 
to make a wretch his treasure. In verse 10 of chapter 4, John says, In this is love, not that we have loved God, but that he has loved us and sent his Son to be the propitiation for our sins. That's a very specific description of what God, what Christ, accomplished at the cross. That Jesus propitiates us and our sin. That wonderful great word, propitiate, Latin word, that really means to appease or to make appeasement or to to regain relationship or status. That's what Jesus does at the cross, his death for us. He makes a way. One version of the translation of scripture says it's personal atonement, and that's what Christ has accomplished. Very specifically, he has dealt with God's wrath against sin, our sin, my sin, your sin, by sending his son to die in our place, to pay the penalty of our sin, to free us from the guilt and shame of our sin, to pacify God's holy wrath against sin. And then in verse 13, notice that John writes, By this we know that we abide in him, and he is in us, because he has given us his spirit. So you see in these first verses 7 to 13 that God the Father puts on display his love by sending his son, Jesus, and then after that, after our sin is dealt with and done for, the Father and the the Son together send the Spirit, that personal representative who begins to make us more and more like Christ. That's God as love. That's agape love. That's the gospel at work. Now when John says God is love, he is of course love, but he's more than that. God is not just love. God is also light. God is righteousness. God is holy. God is omnipotent. God is omnipresent. God is omniscient. And I could go on and on about who God is. And I like the way one person has said it, that when we say God is love, it's not like we can peel an orange and find in it 10 or 12 different segments and we peel it apart and take it apart and say, well, this is God's love part. And I like that part, so I'll eat that part. Then this is God's holiness part. I'm not sure I want that part. God's not like that. He doesn't come in segments. God is one also, three in one. So when we have God as love, he is all love, just as he is all holy and all righteous and all just. God is love, and John is telling us that that love originates from him. You know, man didn't invent love. We didn't come up with it. It didn't come about because some Stone Age man saw some Stone Age woman and thought, hmm, I like her. Go over and hit her in the head with a club and drag her back by her hair to his cave. That's not where love came from, I can tell you that. God is love. Love originates in a triune God because God has been with love, in love, for all time. God has no beginning. The triune God has always existed. And they have always existed, three persons in one, in a relationship of love. The wonderful thing about John's writing in chapter 17 of his gospel, by the way, is the way Jesus, as he prays for his disciples, Praise that we would enter into the love relationship that the triune God already experiences. What a wonderful thing. 
Love originates in God. And secondly, notice that love is perfected in the gospel. We see that in verse 17, an amazing verse that John writes, filled with important truths for us to understand. He says, by this is love perfected with us so that we may have confidence for the day of judgment because as he is, so also are we in this world. That's amazing in in a statement of what God is doing for us in love. He says, by this is love perfected with us. And John isn't saying your love can be perfect or you will be perfect. Or somehow you will love with a perfect love. And if you kind of think maybe you've done that, um, ask your spouse first. (laughs) Or your child, or your parent, or your friend. Have I loved perfectly? And the answer you're going to get, I guarantee you, is, well, you know what the answer is. (laughs) No, we haven't done that. John's not saying you're going to be loving perfectly. Not yet. Not Not in earth. Not until we get to heaven, maybe. But this, by this, is love perfected. By the gospel, is love perfected, completed, made mature, made the purpose being fulfilled in us. By this, by the gospel, love's purpose is fulfilled. What's love's purpose, John? Why did God come up with this thing called love for us? He says, so that we may have confidence for the day of judgment. God's intent for love being perfected with us, is that we would have no more fear. But we would have confidence that even as we face a day of judgment, which the scripture is clear that all men and women, boys and girls, everyone who's ever lived will one day stand before the judgment seat of Christ. We will stand before God. We will be accountable for everything we've ever said and done. And if that's not enough to scare you, I don't know what else could. But John's saying... No, it doesn't scare you. It shouldn't scare you. Because if you're in Christ, if you have believed and trust the gospel for your salvation, you can have confidence even on the day of judgment. Because your guilt has been dealt with. Your sin has been forgiven. There is nothing you've done that's going to haunt you to to the very day of judgment. It's covered by Christ's death. His death on our behalf has taken away our sin. So the gospel declares that we are not guilty. We need not fear. We can have confidence for the day of judgment. So it's no wonder that in verse 18, which follows verse 17, of course, John says, there is no fear in love, but perfect love, perfected love, casts out fear. Completed love takes care of the fear. We need not fear the day of judgment. Not only that, the end of verse 17, notice that John has said an amazing thing, because as he is, so also are we in this world. That we are as Christ is. As he is, so are we in this world. Now, I'm not like him. (laughs) I know that. I know that my behavior, my thoughts, my actions, my words are not always like Jesus. I know that about me. John knew that too, as it turns out. He's not saying that somehow we'll pretend like I'm Jesus or he's like Jesus or you're exactly like Jesus. He's saying that in the gospel, the righteousness of Christ is ours. That in this world, even though we live with a sin nature that we struggle with and as we move through a world with with times that are hard like we live in now and we don't love perfectly, 
But Jesus does. And his perfected love covers our sin. And we are like him. And so when the father looks at us, the father sees the son. And a perfect righteousness is there. We become law keepers perfectly. Not always in experience, but in a judicial way, we are. And because of God's wonderful work through his spirit, we are more and more becoming like him. So this agape love of God casts out fear. God came up with the idea, this thing called love, and it's perfected in the gospel. And then lastly, notice that love is commanded in the church. John says in verse 19, these words, we love because he first loved us. Now, an important reminder there that as we are commanded to love one another, it is not a command given so that we can somehow, by our loving one another, please the Father and make him satisfied with us. It's not that. It's not that I can love you well enough that the Father will say, okay, you've loved, I'll check the box. You're good to go. That's not what it is. It's not that we can somehow earn our righteousness by the way we love each other. We love because he first loved us. We didn't come up with it. And for as many reminders as there are in John's letter to love one another, there are that many reminders that first God has loved us. So we love because not to love one another would be antithetical to being in a relationship with God, to being saved by the gospel. We have to love each other. In fact, John will actually move from we ought to love one another to verse 21 where he says, whoever loves God must also love his brother. You just have to do it. You can't even help it if love is being perfected the way he describes it. It's acting in your life that way. And so because we are united to Christ, we are free to love one another. So how do we do it? How do we love each other? Well, I know that the New Testament has something like 59 commands that have to do with one another. They're called the one another statements. Things we are to do with one another, things we're not to do with one another. That'd be a good place to start. We want to love each other. Let's do some one another's with each other. Let's follow some of the words that are already there in, in the word of God and, and do them and obey them, demonstrate them. But even more, to know the love that John is writing about, it helps to turn to other writers like Paul, who unpacked agape love for us by saying that this kind of love is patient and kind. It does not envy or boast. It is not arrogant or rude. It does not insist on its own way. It is not irritable or resentful. It bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, endures all things. The love that we are to have for one another is a love that looks at the other and says, you are better than I am. That's an amazing love. We can't come up with it on our own, and we don't have to, because God originates love for us. The triune God came up with the idea himself. He is agape love, gospel love, and we can experience that agape triune God love ourselves because the gospel perfects that love in our lives. And then, lastly, of course, we love in the church. It's commanded that we do. So as I invite the band to come back up to lead us in a song of response, and those who are on the prayer team, they're going to step up as well to be ready for anyone who would like prayer. You can even come up during the song as we sing.
Let me ask you this, or at least bring up this idea. You know, in Williamsburg, the Williamsburg Community Chapel has had a reputation for 44 years of several things. Things like solid, trustworthy, biblical preaching and teaching with real application to life. That's been a hallmark of Williamsburg Community Chapel for 44 years. And then we have a reputation for having this amazing facility, this beautiful building that we share with others at times and let others use the building. And the community appreciates that. We have a reputation for that. We have a reputation for at Christmas time having had amazing Christmas concerts that have packed this place out night after night. We have a reputation in the community about those things. But what if, what if our reputation in the community went beyond that? I mean, we also have a reputation for helping people in need. We have rightfully named an agape ministry that helps people with immediate financial need in our community. And we have a reputation for caring that way. But what if, what if the reputation that the Williamsburg Community Chapel would have from this day on would be that we love one another with an agape kind of love? What if people would drive by and say, you know, the people who meet in that church, they really love one another. Wouldn't that be an amazing thing? How does that happen? Well, let me remind you as I close, it starts with you. It starts with you deciding to love one other person. So if you are a man, woman, boy, girl, whatever your age, it starts with deciding I'm going to love one other person in my life in an agape kind of way, in a sacrificial kind of way. I'm going to follow a one another command that I look up and find in scripture and I'm going to do it. <laughs> I'm going to be kind to one another. I'm going to do that. But it really starts, doesn't it, with following Jesus. God's clearest demonstration of his love for us. As John says in 1 John 4, verse 7, Beloved, let us love one another.